Hello, SOJ fans. <clears throat> We're going to be doing something a little bit different today. In 2017, I was honored by my family and chosen to host our, our biannual family reunion. And part of the tradition for the family reunion is that we have a family lineage section. You know, besides all the food and besides the gathering, and we usually have a t-shirt made or, um, you know, plenty of other activities in, in all different parts of the country. We've done it in Chicago. We've done it in California. We've done it in Connecticut. Um, mine was hosted right here at uh, in Freedom Park in uh, Charlotte, so one of the things that really changed my whole attitude about life and and family and whole was was doing the research for this lineage paper i um I decided to choose my grandmother my mom's mom um a because she's the right side of the family for the reunion and b because she was always a always a a strong figure in my memory. I I didn't get to spend a whole lot of years with her, but uh, she did live in California with us for a few years. She would often take us to the beach. Um, I have plenty of fond memories of her. Um, And I thought it would, I thought it would be cool for me to not only research someone that I had a little bit of recollection of, but also someone uh, who was close to me and had a lot of influence on most of the people that I love in my life, um, at least half of them. Now, I was able to sit down, or not sit down, but I was able to talk to most of her children, uh, my aunts and uncles, and kind of get a brief statement from each of them about, you know, certain things they remember about their mother, my grandmother. And uh, I also got a, a three-page essay from her older sister, my Aunt Louise. Um, Aunt Louise, if you ever get a chance to listen to this, shout out to you. I think you've held the most amount of family unions and your family legacy speeches are always riddled with humor and facts and um, you always do such a great job of presenting them and I really feel like I didn't do the best job uh, at my reunion in 2017 July of 2017 when when I got my chance to actually give this uh, little lineage speech I was I was full of nerves. I was trying to throw a party. I had, you know, issues with the caterer. I had um, issues with getting things set up. Now, needless to say, I think we had a pretty good time. The party went really well. Um, I didn't get to all the activities that I had planned, but for the most part, the food was good. Everyone showed up. No one got hurt. Uh, it was a sunny day. The weather we couldn't have asked for for better weather but this speech was was really nerve-wracking for me and I felt like I I kind of choked and and I didn't do as well as I should have 
for this particular project uh, given the amount of time and effort I had put into the research and I wanted to kind of redo it on this platform and hopefully I can I can give it a little bit of justice uh, so my my great aunt Louise my grandmother's sister um, <clears throat> wrote me this essay that I'm gonna read to you guys and then I will <clears throat> excuse me I will go into my my little um, spiel and go into my research and tell you guys what I found out. So, thank you, Aunt Louise, and here we go. 1932 was a busy year for the Mann family, living at 324 Brandon Avenue in Glen Ellen, Illinois. For those of you who are not familiar with that suburb of Chicago, it's located about 20 miles west of the city. It's served by the Northwest Railroad and the suburban line of Chicago, Aurora and Ilgen. Father Tom rode the latter into the city every weekday to work at the Mayan Fur Company. Those living in the house were Tom, his wife Florence, and their four children, Tom, Walter, Bill, and Lou. In addition, there were, there were Florence's father, Theodore Van De Weyer, his sister, Lou O'Connor, and Lou's son, George. George would only be there during vacations from boarding school. In addition, Viola Durant, an orphan Tom Sr. arranged to live with us and help as needed. As I remember, it was noisy but we all fit comfortably in our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath home. Note, a reason for the relatives living in the home are part of another family story. Maybe we'll get to hear from Aunt Louise about that other part of a story another time. Continuing, part two. Things were about to change, which might be why Viola joined the household. A new addition was to be added to the family. There was no question about fitting in the crowded home, but there were name problems. I was fortunate to be squeezed into mom's bedroom, along with Tom, father and son, aunt and Aunt Lou. As I remember, a boy's name was no problem. Frank, it would be. A girl's name caused a conflict. Dad held out for Florence. He insisted that his baby should be named after her mother. Mother rebelled. The fact that she was resting in bed might have strengthened her argument. She said it was bad enough to have two Toms and two Lou's, but two Florences would be too much. She wanted to name the baby Babs if it was a girl. It was Aunt Lou who suggested the compromise. The baby girl would be baptized Florence Barbara, but would be called Babs. The baby girl arrived June 12, 1933, and was baptized per the compromise. 
almost everyone forgot her legal name and was and loved her as Babs. Since she was much younger than her sisters and brothers, playmates might have been a problem. Not in our neighborhood. Across the street lived the Beck family, close friends of my parents. They had a daughter about a year older than Babs named Bonnie. Babs and Bonnie were close friends from crib days to the end of the Becks, or until the Becks moved to California. They made a darling pair. Babs had platinum blonde hair, straight as a stick, and worn a hair bow and wore a hair bow wore a hair bow on the right side, just like her sister. Bonnie also had blonde hair, but hers was soft and curly. Babs was tiny but active. She was often underfoot, but easily tolerated by her big brothers. For her sister, she became the best baby doll imaginable. In some, Babs' preschools, preschool days were filled with love and happiness. Part 3. School was something Babs looked forward to as she watched the family... Uh, she watched her family members go off to school at St. Patron. She was eager to join them. They were eager to have her. Mother was glad to have the last child in school as it would free her days. Babs' first day at school was described to my mother by the hapless nun who taught first grade. Day one. First activity, roll call. All of the children responded appropriately except one. When the roll call was finished, the nun looked at the child who had been silent and said, Aren't you Florence Mayen? The weeping reply was, My name is Babs. Needless to say, it wasn't a great start to the school experience. Babs did recover and make and made many friends at school. Her hair, still shiny blonde and straight, was parted in the middle, and her braids on e either side, although the Dutch bob remained. Because she was so small, her clothes were usually made by Viola and were very cute. She was popular and well-behaved. Although all her brothers babied her, she and Walter seemed to have a closer attachment than the others. All in all, it was a happy childhood until our father died. Part four. It was difficult for me to know how Babs coped with this loss. Dad had been ill for three months, and I don't know if Babs was aware of the severity at first. We were all stunned and unable to cope with our loss. Tom was at West Point, and Walter, Bill and Louise were at boarding schools. Within a year, Mom had a job, and Grandpa went to live with Aunt Lou, who had reunited with Uncle George. I can imagine how different it must have felt to go from crowded household to being almost alone most of the time. World War II had its impacts on our family, as it did every other household. 
We had lost George. Walter came home with what was probably PTSD, although it had not been identified. Viola went to work for the Becks. Mother and Babs were alone, except for the weekends when Lou came home from boarding school. It was a burden for Babs. At age nine, she was hardly able to cope with her on with her loss, much less be able to comfort her mother. Part five. We were all taken by surprise when mothers we were all taken by surprise with mother's next decision. She sold our home, packed up, declared a lot of discarded a lot of family belongings and moved to the west side of Chicago. She continued with her job in Wheaton, commuting daily. Babs transferred to a a resecution school, which was a resurrection school, which was only about two blocks from her new home. It was not an easy move for Babs. Life became much better when Walter and Bill were discharged from the service. They both started working at the fur company and had plenty of time to enjoy civilian life. The close bond between Walter and Babs continued. When one of them returned home, the first question was from Babs, is Walter home yet? If Walter got home first, he asked, is Babs home yet? It wasn't until many years later that I learned Walter was taking flying lessons and had brought Babs along for the ride. Part 6. Babs entered high school at Louis Alta Mater, Mount St. Mary's in St. Charles, Illinois. The school is no longer there, but it was a beautiful campus with playing fields on the banks of the Fox River. The main building and dorm were across the road and high on a hill. It was owned by the Dominican Sisters of Edmarion, Michigan. Babs enjoyed her time there, but was happier at home with her family. Needless to say, we were all astounded when Babs chose to enter the Dominican Noviate at Admire. It was time <clears throat> to enter her senior year. She seemed to enjoy her year at the Mount. It is possible that family moves may have influenced her decision. Louise was married Louise was married and living in Oregon. Shortly after mother married Bon Davis and was getting ready to move to southern Illinois with him, Walter and Bill were moving to Aunt Lou's and there was room for Babs also. Yet Babs, age seventeen, left the Admiral instead or left for that uh left for the nun school instead little was heard from her until the summer of 1951 where <clears throat> we were all informed that babs decided to leave the convent the problem was arranging her trip home walter and bill were unable to get away from the fur company and mother was living in Cairo, Illinois. 
that left Luis, who was living in Waukegan, Illinois, with Walt. The fact that she was pregnant and had a year-old baby complicated plans. Nevertheless, <coughs> Louise took off with the baby and in a bassinet on the back seat and plenty of barf bags for the driver. It was an exciting drive with few complications. Elder Babs was ready to leave but had no belongings except for the civilian clothes that she wore. The major problem at this point was to do something with her hair, which needed a lot of care after being worn under a veil for a year. After a map cons- consolation, we decided on Toledo, Ohio. It was the best place to solve that problem. It wasn't a great job, but it looked reasonably well. The drive to Illinois was easier as Babs was able to help with the baby. Babs Sr., went to Aunt Lou's for a short time and eventually went to stay with Aunt Mary and Uncle Alan Cunningham in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> Aunt Mary was in her glory. She had many social contacts and enjoyed using them to provide an entry for Babs into the social menu. Uncle Alan took care to see that she was enrolled in college, Georgetown. She enrolled, or she enjoyed the social life, the social activities, and made her social debut. She was working at a company that transferred her to Chicago. From there, she got a job with the Reuben Dunley Printing Company. Whereas you are all probably aware, that is where she met Jim Sackett, her future husband. Part 9. Wedding plans seemed somewhat chaotic. Babs's brother Bill was married to Susie, and they had the reception at their home in Highland Park. The wedding would be held in their parish church. One pleasant surprise was the opportunity to have Father England perform the ceremony, since Father England baptized Babs as a baby in Glen Ellen. This was a treat for all of us who knew him. Sister Louise was able to leave her family in Oregon for a few days to help with the wedding plans. The biggest problem was the wedding dress and the maid of honor dress. The fabric had been purchased and the wedding dress had been cut and bastered. The other dress was not started until the wearer arrived to be fitted. You will not be surprised to learn that the bride, her mother, and sister were busy sewing into the wee hours of the wedding day. So, thank you, Aunt Louise. Um, I have so many fond childhood memories of your home in uh, in Thousand Oaks over there, and I'll always remember your thimble collection. I, uh, <clears throat> I remember having plenty of good meals there and, and falling into a, a, a pricker bush over there where I think you keep your blueberries and raspberries, but um, I love you so much. I'm glad that you provided this information for me. Um, I know that I've butchered a lot of the names. Um, reading has never been my strong suit, but uh, I really do appreciate that information you shared and you uh, gave to me. That helped me out a lot um, in my initial 
uh, speech. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm sorry. A couple of those names are, are hard to get and to pronounce and to remember. Uh, the, the school that my, my grandmother ended up going to was a, was a, a, a noviate. I can't really pronounce the name, but it's, it's basically a, a Catholic school where you get trained to become a nun. Um, where you basically get married to Jesus and you, you know, you become um, celibate and you become, you know, a bride of the Lord. And I'm so glad that she decided not to do this for many reasons, uh, my existence being one of them. If she'd become a nun, then she would have had no kids, which would have meant she would have had no grandkids which would have meant that I wouldn't be making this recording right now to share with you guys. So I'm super glad that she made that decision. Um, I wish that she was here so I could ask her more questions. But it seems like only the good die young. And she was definitely taken well before her time. Uh... My grandmother passed away um, across the pond. Uh, she was actually, she'd just taken a canoeing trip down the River Rhine. Um, and nobody saw this coming. I'm not going to say that she was, you know, super healthy. But uh, she wasn't, she wasn't supposed to go as early as she did, I think. I believe that most things happen for a reason, but she definitely went too early. Um, speaking with her children, uh, my aunts and uncles, I learned a lot. I learned that my grandmother was was very concerned and very thorough when it came to loving and taking care of your family. She did a lot to impress this on her children. She always would do whatever it took for her kids. She, even on her deathbed, was was known to just speak very highly of her kids and always had kind words and was always willing to share the accomplishments and and brag about her children whenever she could. I, I I do believe that she felt that her children were her greatest accomplishment. I mean, she had six kids, um, three boys and three girls, which was, I guess it was pretty common for the time, but still it's such an amazing feat to believe that, that one person made six other human beings that are, I mean, in my opinion, some of the greatest people on earth. Um, you know, my Uncle Jim being the oldest, and then, of course, my Aunt Katie and my mom being the twins, um, my Uncle John, my Uncle Steve, and then my Aunt Dana, uh, who have all played a key role in, in me growing up, and a funny story is, when we were young, we took a, a skiing vacation, and we were all on this on this mountain, me and my, my brothers, we were young. It was the first time we'd ever learned how to ski. And I remember 
my aunts and uncles all taking a turn to teach us a lesson and to put their two cents in there. And they all were so willing to come together to teach us children how to have a good time and how to be safe out there on the mountain. And I didn't realize it at the time, but these were all lessons that they learned from their mom, you know, paying attention to your family and and keeping family close and and always being uh being willing to sacrifice uh to be there for your family was so important for her um a lot of a lot of what I found out from my aunts and uncles were was that uh road trips were often something that they did on 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 a whim on a drop of a dime's notice they would pile in the car and they would drive from one side of the country to the other she was always <clears throat> taking her children to go see things and and they were always driving from one end of the country to the other to 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 see the grand canyon to see niagara falls to to adventure from one end of this great country to the next uh i think all of her kids kind of took their own road and and had their own unique path um i know that my mom has the most amazing work ethic out of anyone i've ever met as long as i've known her she's had at least two jobs um she's always figuring out a way to pay the bills and get things done and I feel like she probably got a lot of that from her mother. I know speaking with my my aunt Louise, she said that uh you know, my grandmother had a great many jobs um throughout her life. She was a girl scout leader. Uh she was a, a lunch lady at school. She ended up doing a lot of things organizing youth. Um she worked at a printing company. She was she had a realtor's broker's license for a long time. I know that her and my mom used to update um real estate pricing and they they would be the ones that would manually update these prices and keep track of uh, you know, how much um these houses were worth and what the difference from 10 years ago to today was. There was she was always uh, very influential in in teaching her kids and and making sure they had a strong work ethic. Uh, man, so many cool things that she did. I I know that she taught my aunts and uncles how to ride a motorcycle because it was it was more cost efficient as far as gas went, and not just the boys. She taught the girls how to ride a motorcycle. You know, my my aunt Katie, my mom's twin, was was riding a motorcycle year-round, even in the winter in Connecticut, um, just because it was a mode of transportation, and she had developed that skill at a young age. Uh, you know, like I said, car rides were were always um, something that was, was easy for her to do and a, and a quick way to get the kids in the car and, and take them somewhere. They would always drive down to see Aunt Mary, um, her sister, who... You know, my my grandmother in in my Aunt Louise's 
essay here, it does talk about her life a little bit in D.C., but she was a debutante. She had a she had a, a coming out party to the to the world, and I had to look up what a debutante was, because it's not something that you read about or hear about uh, nowadays. It's it's basically a, a young woman who is having her coming of age um, to society, and is is you know, highly respected and, and had comes from a good family and comes from a good name and, and has high expectations um set upon them to, you know, to become a, a good wife and, and, and a good mother and and run the household. Uh I I really believe that this was something that she wanted to do and felt strongly about. My grandmother was was quick to throw parties and and invite people over and she always wanted things to be fancy she was she was always um not from my memory but from what i heard she was she was one to have a, a champagne taste with a beer budget so she wanted the better things in life but sometimes had to uh manipulate circumstances to to get what she wanted or to get the best best uh the best out of life one of her mantras sometimes was you know rob peter to pay paul so whatever it took to get the party to go off whatever it took to make things look nice she would do um i don't know if she was good with money i'd I'd like to say that she probably wasn't I know that she had very strong political views. Um, I never got a chance to discuss them with her, but I know that my stepfather and her often disagreed on politics. I know that he was right-winged and she was very socialist and all about um, helping out in the community and and against capitalism for all of its all of its uh all of its wicked ways that it seemed to seem to lead America into but all in all i miss my grandmother uh i wish she was here so that i could ask her these questions i remember her <clears throat> I was sweeping the floor once and she was living with us in California and I had I was sweeping the floor and I I swept a milk cap that was on the floor and I swept it underneath the refrigerator um instead of sweeping it into the the dustpan and, and picking it up I just kind of played around and pretended like it was a hockey puck and I just shot it underneath the refrigerator And as she turned the corner and she witnessed all of this, she told me that if that was one of her kids, that uh, she would probably punish them severely and make them retrieve that cap and and scrub the whole floor again just off of principle. But she just uh, patted me on the head and told me that I was a good-looking kid and that she was lucky I was her grandmother and not her mother. 
or that she was my grandmother and not my mother. Uh, I miss her. I remember when she passed, my my mom was devastated, and I came home, and I was young. I was maybe six or seven, and I heard that she had passed, and I didn't get too emotional because I was so young, but I remember it was the first time I remember seeing my mom cry, and it was rough. However, I do believe that she left behind a legacy and she left behind morals and she left behind six outstanding human beings that have continued to demonstrate the highest sense of morality and who, in my mind, should be held in great esteem and great honor as citizens of not only the United States, but also uh, Belgium and Denmark. Um, You know, her kids are accomplished accountants. Um, Her kids are also school teachers that work their way all the way up to principal. Uh, Her kids are... uh, Accomplished translators, accomplished cooks, um, you know, real men of the wild who live off the land and hunt and and ski and really have a, a passion for life that is that's unsurmountable. I I really believe that her children hold special place in their heart for my grandmother and rightfully so she was such a strong impact on on anyone she came encounter with and I was lucky to have known her for the little bit of time that I did and I would encourage anyone that's listening to this to to live life like my grandmother did and be free be quick to smile and and quick to you know point out how good your kids are and and be quick to shout them up and be quick to just give good just give good everywhere you go give good to everyone that you meet and and don't be scared to say what's on your mind because one man really can change the world one person can make a difference um one of her mantras to her kids was, you know, uh, no matter what it is, say what you need to say because it can make a difference. So with that being said, I I hope I didn't botch this one as bad as I did the one during the reunion. Uh My grandmother was an awesome person, and I think that uh, her life was a great example to anyone who wants to be adventurous, who wants to travel the world. She got to see so many things and uh, got to experience a lot. Um, She 
gave me my first swimming lessons. I know she taught kids in the uh the the Red Cross and she ended up giving swimming lessons to, to many kids before I was even born. So I'd like to think that, that my grandmother had a, a large impact on, on many of the people that she touched and I hope that uh I hope that her memory remains strong with all of you and yeah. Thank God for grandma.